The House selects a new speaker, and the U.S. sends two Iron Dome systems to Israel. All that and more today, October 26, 2023. Good morning, early birds. I'm Zimone Perez, and this is the Early Bird Brief, produced by Defense News and Military Times. First up, the House of Representatives has a speaker. Therefore, the Honorable Mike Johnson of the state of Louisiana, having received a majority of the votes cast, is duly elected Speaker of the House of Representatives. House Republicans elected Louisiana Rep. Mike Johnson as Speaker of the House in a 220-209 to vote on Wednesday. We want our allies around the world to know that this body of lawmakers is reporting again to our duty stations. Let the enemies of freedom around the world hear us loud and clear. The People's House is back in business. Johnson was first elected to the House in 2016. The House can now return to legislative business, which has been at a standstill for nearly three weeks after some Republicans voted out former Speaker Kevin McCarthy. A little bit about Johnson, though. He received unanimous support from both the more moderate and more conservative members of his party. He is a constitutional lawyer and voted to overturn the 2020 election results. He is a staunch conservative and has a history of voting against legal abortion and also voted against legislation that codified same-sex marriage in the law. But those are domestic issues here in the U.S., so it begs the question, how will House Speaker Mike Johnson lead on national security and defense issues? Our Defense News Capitol Hill reporter Brian Harris joins us now. He is very conservative, very close to former President Donald Trump, and one of the things that has kind of contributed to the chaos within the Republican caucus over the last few weeks is this growing tension between the fiscal hawks in the party and the um, more traditional GOP defense hawks. That said, I I think one of the reasons um, that now Speaker Johnson was able to uh, sort of get these two factions to coalesce around him is that uh, his district is a very military-heavy district, and he just does sit on the Armed Services Committee. So that has instilled at least some degree of confidence with him um, from, you know, a lot of the, the Republican defense leaders in the House. You know, I had um, Congressman um, Tom Cole, the Rules Committee chairman, who's a defense appropriator, you know, kind of highlight this. There's the um, Barksdale Air Force Base in his district. There's Fort Johnson and a Louisiana National Guard training site, just to name a few things. And on top of that, um, Democrats, House Democrats are trying to go with the Senate's approach and the White House's request to couple Israel and Ukraine together. But there's still the persistent issue of the fact that now roughly half the House Republican caucus does not support Ukraine aid. Speaker Johnson in his speech after his election did very much vow to continue aid to Israel. Turmoil and violence have rocked the Middle East and Eastern Europe. We all know it. Intentions continue to build in the Indo-Pacific. The country demands strong leadership of this body, and we must not waver. Our, our, our nation's greatest ally in the Middle East is under attack. The first bill that I'm going to bring to this floor in just a little while will be in support of our dear friend Israel. He didn't make any explicit commitments on Ukraine. He hasn't answered questions yet as to whether he will put Ukraine aid on the floor. That said, he did have a line in his speech about basically the world, you know, the escalating situations in both the Middle East and Eastern Europe. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, thanks for having me. The House and Senate have until November 17th to pass all of their government funding bills, including the annual defense budget. 
And in all this hustle and bustle of votes on votes on votes, for House Speaker, you may have forgotten, a Republican senator is still holding up military and Defense Department nominees over the Pentagon's abortion travel policy for troops. Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville's hold has left the Navy and Air Force without confirmed leaders. Admiral Lisa Franchetti has been serving as acting Chief of Naval Operations and General David Alvin as acting Air Force Chief of Staff. Tuberville said yesterday that his colleagues are working on a plan to use floor time for confirmation votes for those two to permanently assume their respective leadership roles. 300 other promotions are also in limbo due to this hold, though. The Senate would need to spend hundreds of hours of floor time voting on each individual nominee. But the Senate just last month voted individually on the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the leaders of the Army and the Marines. Senator Jack Reed said some Democratic leaders have talked to some Republicans behind the scenes about considering temporary procedural changes that would allow some or all of the nominees to be advanced. Tuberville said he is opposed to that idea. He said he'd end the hold once the Pentagon ends its abortion access policy. We also have a developing story for you out of Iraq and Syria. U.S. Central Command reported the first U.S. troops injured in the Middle East since the Israel-Hamas war began. Military Times Pentagon Bureau Chief Megan Myers joins the episode to fill us in on what we know so far. So the Pentagon announced Wednesday that as a result of a small series of drone attacks on Al-Tamf, uh, garrison in Syria and al-Assad Air Base in Iraq, 21 service members were injured. Uh, they characterize the injuries as minor, and they don't say anything more about them except to say that because uh, traumatic brain injuries, which often result from these blasts, um, sometimes take a few days or weeks to be diagnosed, that they may update these numbers in the future. Um, and these these 21 injuries are only from attacks on October 17th. There have been uh, several attacks since then. The Pentagon said yesterday, um, on Tuesday, about a, a dozen or more total attacks. They're still actually working on getting a complete list of all of the attacks um, on these two bases since October 16th-ish. Um, so these are only the injuries sustained uh, in those attacks on the 17th. There may be more injuries to come from some of the subsequent attacks. U.S. officials have issued warnings about harming U.S. troops in the region. Marine Corps Commandant General Eric Smith issued a warning to bad actors wishing to harm U.S. service members. And the Secretary of Defense has been very clear that whatever their mission may be, don't target those Marines. He said it very carefully because they come ready to respond. I'll be less diplomatic and more Marine-like. If, for those that are in the area, if that mew has to go in, if you target them, someone else will raise your children. Also on the radar for today, you may have heard of Israel's Iron Dome missile defense system. U.S. officials announced the Pentagon will send two more of those systems to Israel. Land warfare reporter Jen Judson breaks down the moves by the U.S. to shore up one of its staunchest allies in the region. Thanks for joining us, Jen. First, could you lay out what is the Iron Dome system? I may not be a weapons expert, but am I right to say it's not a literal big iron dome over Israel? <laughs> no, it, does, it is not a dome. Um, but I guess it, it creates a protective dome uh, against rocket attacks. It was originally uh, developed uh, by an Israeli defense company, Rafael Advanced Defense Systems, uh, and co-developed with Raytheon, uh, now RTX, uh, many, many years ago. 
Uh, it's something that uh, the U.S. has has invested in uh, deeply in terms of its uh, development and production, um, but has not had its own Iron Dome systems up until relatively recently. But Israel has around 10 Iron Dome batteries in their position to defend against rocket attacks from, from Hamas. Um, and I, I believe that the statistics prior to uh, the recent uh, Hamas terrorist attack was about 2,000 rockets intercepted. Um, the Iron Dome, I think, is among the most statistically successful air defense systems in the world. And, you know, it doesn't shoot down every rocket that comes at it. it it's able to, to choose the rockets that are true threats. Uh, it lets other rockets go that aren't necessarily headed to civilian populations, for instance. Um, and each battery consists of, of three main parts. There's a, a radar, a command control system, uh, and the launchers uh, that fire the interceptors. And um, I think that, you know, the extra radars uh, will increase their ability to, to, to detect threats. With the U.S. planning to send more uh, to more Iron Dome systems, that will just increase their ability to see more things and defend more things. So if you could tell me, why send these two additional systems to Israel? Don't they have quite a few Iron Dome systems and have a pretty robust missile defense system? I think they just need everything that they can get. Uh, and the U.S. Army bought two Iron Dome systems several years ago, but it was at the request of Congress. Um, they are working on a capability that would defend against cruise missiles, rockets, artillery, mortars, and uh, drones. Uh, it's a system called the Indirect Fire Protection Capability. Um, but in the meantime, Congress wanted the Army to have an interim system that defended against cruise missiles at fixed and semi-fixed sites, much like Iron Dome um, is able to do. And so the Army did buy those, those two systems um, as, in order to fulfill a congressional mandate. Since they purchased those systems, not much has happened with them. Uh, they have trained on them. Uh, at Fort Bliss, Texas, they deployed one system to Guam at the end of 2021. And that was just for a two-week exercise, and it fulfilled a congressional mandate to deploy the system by a certain time. And since then, they've been sitting with a unit at Joint Base Lewis-McChord in Washington State. So the U.S. Army was sort of just standing by to see where where these might go. I think at one point there was a debate, should we send them to U- to Ukraine? What should we do with these? Uh, but now it's pretty clear uh, there is a country out there that could very much use Iron Dome systems, that knows how to use Iron Dome systems, and the more the better. Uh, so I think it all kind of lined up very uh, fortuitously uh, to send these over to Israel at this time. So will the U.S. get these two systems back, or are they Israel's for now? Yeah, so I think that's that's the big question. Uh, there have been uh, some reports out there that uh, the systems will be leased. Uh, I'm not quite sure that the nature of a lease like that would be. But you know, some of the options are okay. Iron, let's say these two Iron Dome systems get battle damaged. Um, maybe you know they don't get sent back. Maybe they're given um, and they're kept, or uh, potentially they're uh, sent back, repaired, and sent back. Um, so uh, I will continue to be watching uh, what the, the nature of this transfer will be um, and what that means for you know, whether the U.S. Army will, again, have Iron Dome systems in their inventory, if that's something that will be a thing of the past. 
Now, here are some other stories we're hearing chirps about. President Joe Biden met with Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese at the White House yesterday. The state visit was intended to deepen an alliance that's increasingly viewed as a critical counterweight to China's influence in the Pacific. The United States plans to provide nuclear-powered submarines to Australia in coming years, part of a collaboration with the United Kingdom. Defense Scoop reported that the White House published the implementation plan for its 10-year Arctic strategy this week. It includes new directives for the Defense Department to bolster security and deter adversary activity in the region. Air and Space Forces magazine reported the U.S. has begun training Ukrainian pilots to fly F-16s. And the American Athletic Conference announced yesterday it is adding Army as a football-only member starting in 2024. And on this day in history, in 2001, President George W. Bush signed the Patriot Act. The Patriot Act is an anti-terrorism law drawn up in response to the attacks on the Pentagon and World Trade Center on September 11, 2001. That's it for us this morning. To get more top stories and breaking news, go to defensenews.com EBB to subscribe to the Early Bird Brief newsletter. Please give us a like, rating, and comment wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to follow us on social media at defense underscore news and at military times. The Early Bird Brief is hosted and produced by me, Zimone Z. Perez. Today's episode featured stories by Brian Harris, Leo Shane III, Megan Myers, and Jed Judson. Our editor-in-chief is Mike Groose. Have a great day.